time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while Welcome to episode 1 of the History and Music podcast I'm your host Scott Gifford and I'm joined here by Troy Mendenhall. Hey. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. The, the inaugural. Um, <laughs> I've been talking about this. Well, uh, well, yeah, I've been talking about starting this for a long time. Um, so a little bit of uh, a history on, on this, the concept of this podcast uh, since it's the first episode, uh, please indulge. Um, I've uh, so Jake and I started, I think it was four years ago, on our uh, other podcast, the Cold Bow Podcast, of which Troy is the host, um, along with Jake and our friend Chris um, and Reese. And Reese, that's true. <laughs> What's up, Reese? Um, so Jake and I, my brother, um, we we kind of ventured out a little bit on the cold bow podcast um, and did our own little episode type where we, um, where we took songs uh, from the band Sabaton's uh, backlog and we kind of dissected their lyrics because their lyrics are primarily about historical um, military figures and battles and places and nouns, I guess. Um, and uh so we would take those study up on the, on the history and kind of dissect the, the lyrics and talk about the, the significance. And, um, we really enjoyed it. It was, it was a really fun concept, fun to do with my brother. Um, and so, yeah, those were, those are really cool episodes, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. I, I no. they were really fun to listen to because I, I love history in, in myself. Um, I, and I love learning new things and, and, uh, and then just seeing different representations of history. So if you are listening to this episode, I would recommend you go check out the cold bow podcast and find those Sabaton episodes. Cause they're really good. They're really well done. Yeah. They're, they're uh, the titles are prefaced with Sabaton. Um, so yeah, you can go, we did one on, on uh audie murphy and another on uh on what was it the some battle in rome mm-hmm. uh it, yeah it, it, it it's really fun and so so uh if you haven't picked up this this podcast will will mirror or it is kind of an extension of of the those sabaton episodes of the cold book podcast where where um i will have various guests on to that who will come on the show um with a song that they want to discuss and the the only requirement is that the song is about some type of historical noun um that we can research and kind of dissect um and this episode um you can tell by the title is about the don mclean's song the day the music died and and if you know anything about it it, there's there's some ambiguity in the lyrics, but there's definitely some uh, there's while there is some ambiguity, there is some definite um, lyrics that we know is about a certain event, yeah. and we'll get into it. Um, but before we get into the to the song, let's uh, let's introduce Troy Mendenhall. 
Hey, so I don't, I don't mean to, to do, to do this right away, but the, the song is actually um, called American pie. Um, oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. And also if you can hear my dogs, I apologize. They, one of them just got up and is walking around. So if you hear that throughout the episode, I, I, I apologize. I have two dogs and they won't shut up anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, I totally, uh, and th- that's another thing about the song is I think a lot of people, especially my age and younger, um, uh, misname the song a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, because... and the day the music diet is in the lyrics and, and it's funny, mm-hmm. it, not funny. There's actually not much about this. That's funny, but, uh, the, uh, the, it's about a specific plane crash that we'll get into, but the plane crash has been kind of named as the, and then the day that it happened has been named as the day the music died. So like, you're yeah. not wrong. It's just the official title is, is American. Pie, it's, so. It is. Cool. <laughs> but thanks uh, Troy. Yeah. That actually mean <laughs> <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I'm Troy. Um, like Scott said, we're, we're both part of the cold Bowl podcast. Uh, we've been, we've been running that podcast for a while. Uh, we really like hearing ourselves talk. Um, so that's, that's one thing, um, that we, we have in common. No, um, a little bit about me. And I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a bit of a history buff. I do love history. I history in terms of, uh, grades in school, history was always near the top. And, um, I mean, even in, even in college, whenever I took a history class, I was always just always at the top. And so I love history. I do love music. I'm not as big of a, a music buff as some of the other people I know. Um, notably like Reese and even, you know, you and, and, um, Jake Chris. and Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do know, I do know my songs and sometimes I don't always know my artists. Um, I'm a big oldies fan and this American pie is considered an oldie. Um, this song, I have specific memory of riding in the car, uh, with my dad. Um, what's up, Tim? Uh, and just listening to the song and, and just hearing it and not really knowing what it's about. But my dad is, is very much into music trivia, him and his twin brother, brother, Terry. In fact, um, Scott and Jake and I, we all have like kind of a family cabin. We're all related. Um, we have a family cabin and sometimes they play this music trivia game at the cabin and Tim and Terry, they slay at this music trivia. They're like, they know everything when it comes to music trivia, I, I swear. And my dad would, every time the song would come on, he'd just like smack me in the chest. Be like, uh, Troy, you, you, uh, you know where this, this song comes from, you know, the history behind this song. I'm like, ah, yes, dad. But I do remember the first time he told me it was about a specific plane crash that happened, um, with some old, uh, older or more OG rock and rollers from that, the time of like the dance hall, the, the dance hall type music, the more innocent style rock and roll. Right. Rhythm before, sorry, I'm interrupting before we get mm-hmm. into the, to the song anymore. Uh, what, what other um, musical interests do you have? Like what, 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 like what's your taste in music? So we'll keep it back in, before we jump into the song. We'll keep it back in, into, into Troy, but anyway, yeah, uh, beyond, old, beyond the oldies, beyond the oldies <laughs> that, that you had uh, mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, I've always enjoyed music. I, I learned, I've self-taught a few things. Um, I've tried learning bass, ukulele, even a little bit of piano, but I, I it's just a little bit of, a little bit here and there. I played the the trumpet for a few years, even the euphonium for a little bit, um, or the, the baritone. Um, 
I've, I've had, uh, some, some history in, in that type of music, but as far as my interest, I, whenever people ask me what kind of music I'm, I'm into, I can never really honestly answer that question. Cause there's really no music that I absolutely, absolutely hate. I don't even like mm-hmm. even the, the, the ones that people always say they hate like country or, or folk or any of that. I, I don't hate it. I I'll, I'll listen. Somebody says, Hey, here's a really cool country song. You should give it a listen. I'll listen to it. And if I right. like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't, you know? And, um, I've always had kind of an open mind about music. Um, a little bit of a personal thing with me is I am, <laughs> I don't want to dive too much in this, but I am deaf in one ear. And along with being deaf in one ear, it does mean that you have certain issues with speech, with speech recognition. So with music, admittedly, sometimes I don't always hear the lyrics as well as some other people do. A lot of times I have to like look up the lyrics afterward and actually try to understand what they're saying, especially if I really like the song. Yeah. Um, I tend to hear the music first. Um, and I was actually, I heard that there's a specific word for this, but I, I can't tell you what it is, but there's people who can hear lyrics first and there's people who can hear music first and like the beats and the melodies. And all. I do, that's, that's, that is where it works for me. I hear the beats and the melodies, the bass, the guitar, the, like I hear all of that. And then the lyrics just kind of take a back seat and I, and I struggle hearing the lyrics. Um, yes, in, I, I've, uh, I've recently been introduced to that, that phenomenon. Um, and I'm definitely a lyrics first person. And so that's interesting. I'm glad you bring it up because I think I'll bring it up in future episodes with with future guests is to, to ask that which one they are. I'll have to look up the name for it. And as someone who likes history and who likes music and who has a hard time with the lyrics of music, I appreciate ideas and podcasts like this, the history and music because of that, because I have to take a little bit of extra time to learn what the artist is trying right. to convey and what they're trying to say. And, and in the history of music, this podcast, it's going to be more specifically about the lyrics of the song, what the artist was trying to say. Right. Right. And that's something that I appreciate being someone who doesn't always hear and understand the lyrics and their meaning, you know, right away. So perfect. Um, I hope I didn't get too much into that, but yeah, no, no, that, that, that I'm glad you brought it up. Cause like I said, it brought up to brought up an interesting thing to talk about as and, and far I, as like what kind of list, uh, at least initial listener of a song. Cause yeah. I think it changes the more listens you give. Uh, another little thing I, I heard recently is like, you usually, um, <clears throat> don't really like a song or don't connect to a song until like three listens. Mm-hmm. Um, you, at sense. least, uh, so if you're trying to get into a song or, uh, or you don't initially like it, give it a chance. Yeah. It makes sense. Give it three, three chances. And and that Um, whole thing of me saying that being deaf in one ear and speech recognition, that wasn't just an excuse. Like I literally, I have had my hearing tested and they do speech recognition testing. And and that is an issue with my hearing specifically. So, and it is tied to music. So it is interesting that that that's the case, but again, it's, I'm excited to, to dive into, into these kind of, so you you only hear the left side of every song, huh? <laughs> right? Right side, but right you, side. you got a side, you know. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, what about your your interest in history? Is there any part of history that you like, like American history, uh, European, um, like the Dark Ages, or anything like that? I'd say I like the aspect of history and learning from it, right? And I know that sounds cliche, learn from your history and all that stuff, but it's also a matter of like just trying not to repeat mistakes. Um, I so, realized, so that would you, would you say that falls more in like 19th century history, 1918, maybe um, or further yeah. back? 
Um, I would say all of, all of history, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to talk about battles and, and, and wars and stuff, usually it has to do with some sort of tyrant who wants power and control stuff right. like that. And just, and just trying to avoid that kind of stuff. And I won't get too political about that, but my, my love for history really kind of started with, um, ancient history, things like uh, Greek mythology and oh, Roman, nice. Roman history and, um, and e- Egyptian mythology. It actually, I think it started mostly with mythologies of, mm-hmm. uh, learning mm-hmm. about what people believed in and, and, and all of that. I loved seeing depictions of Zeus and the Greek gods and the Roman gods and the Egyptian gods. Um, in fact, <laughs> do you remember the movie, um, <laughs> um, Prince of Egypt, the animated yeah. one? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's great. And, I recently and I, watched it with my kids and it is like, it, it it's yeah. not so much a kid's movie. It's hard. It is a kid's movie, it but can be. Young, as, as young as my kids, but sure. I such a good movie. I, you know, as from a, from a Christian background, I, I did, I do appreciate the Moses more biblical side of that, but I also really liked the depiction of Egyptian gods. You know, when, when the two, when the two magicians or the two, the two guys that are singing this song are talking about each of the gods, like, and, and having somewhat of a knowledge of Egyptian mythology and being able to know who each of those gods, well, not maybe not each of them, but many of them and knowing their role in in Egyptian mythology is, is pretty cool. And, um, you know, and just learning, learning about that and, and just, I guess, mankind's trying, trying to explain where we come from and in all of their different various ways. Um, and then how that, sorry, keep going. (laughs) Well, and how that, how that evolves into actual history, you know, and like, and, and like we said, battles, a lot of times the things that are recorded in history are battles, you know, but Mm -hmm. why did, why did, why was Rome, you know, burned to the ground. Why was Rome taken over? Why was the battle of Troy? Um, why did that happen? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and you learn that it's, uh, it, it either has something to do with, with religion, with some sort of mythology or religion, or it has something to do with a tyrant wanting control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. again, like, like the battle of Troy, King Agamemnon wanting total control of, of basically of Greek of Greece, you know, and, and that area. Um, and, and what, what's interesting about, about, especially this part of history is how, just naturally drawn to it. Mm-hmm. People are like, I've been reading a, uh, t- uh with my son, this, my six-year-old son, Leroy, um, this, uh, it's like a graphic novelization of, of, um, both the Iliad and the, um, Odyssey. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. We're yeah. reading through the Odyssey first and, uh, man, he loves it. It it's, it's awesome. And it, it, the, the way you're talking about it kind of remind me of, of his enthusiasm for it. It doesn't let me miss a night reading it because he just loves um, getting into the stories. And I think um, it really is about narrative and, mm. and telling a story and, and relating. And a lot of times as well is, is you got to think about when is history recorded? And, you know, right now we live in an age where every day some sort of history is recorded. Right. But, (laughs) but when you look at like history, when you look at old, older, uh, ancient or older generations of people, what, what are the stories that stood out and what are the, what's the history that stood out? And usually it's some sort of significant turmoil or significant thing that happened that affected somebody tremendously or profoundly, you know, and you think of like our own myth, not only mythology, but our own, I don't know the word for it that I'm trying to think of, but our own stories that you, that we tell often come from somebody trying to overcome some sort of trial, some sort of oppression, some sort of persecution, something. And then they either, you know, some sort of story comes from that, or even just our history comes from that. And so, and, and those things, you know, they're passed on for a reason. And the reason is, is that 
they want us to remember them. And so right. doing things like this, writing, writing songs and putting music in, as part of our cultural heritage, um, any cultural heritage, like putting music in there and then taking the time to actually sit and talk about it and listen to it and appreciate it helps that history stay like relevant. And, right. and, and, that's, and that's important. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up, brought up like how music is plays a part in that. Cause it always has that like in uh, ancient, almost any ancient culture had some type of a uh, oral history and often mm-hmm. it was sung. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the, the, obviously this is nothing new and that idea that concept hasn't stopped. And that's kind of what this yeah. podcast is about is, um, is the more modern versions of a, um, a retelling what, of history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, um, like a bard basically. Yeah. Right. Well, I, um, so as you were saying that I, I even, I am even thinking about like when we tell a, a fantastic, a fantasy story that has, it has something to do with, there's usually sometimes a, a bard that will kind of write the story and, and turn it into music. And I, this is kind of at the forefront of my mind. My, my oldest Rory is, is playing, um, playing Skyrim right now. And it's funny because in that game, as you continue to play that game, bards will sing about your adventures and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and that's just a, that's just a, a, it's, it's nothing new, but it's, it's still included as part of our culture, uh, as part of who we are as human beings that shows that we record our history, you know, it, and, it just naturally that there's nothing we can stop. Yeah. That, and, from, and, that, that's just who we are as a, as a race or as a, it, uh, humans yeah or just and, do that and it's naturally included as part of our music mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's what makes this uh so you um talking about a bard that writes it as it's happening that's what something we talked about uh off air was uh something cool about this song um is that the timing of when a history is written and this song is a history mm-hmm. um however loose you want to make that it was written pretty close to when the events happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we talked about how there's, there's certain songs that are about historical events that are written during the historical event um, in the midst of it. And it gives a, a wholly different um, atmosphere and, and feeling behind it. Yeah. I'm not sure how close this was. This was written maybe, I don't know how much after, but it, so was, the, it, but it, it was someone who lived it. Yeah. And there's exactly, there's some, someone who lived it and could tell a firsthand experience of, of their feelings with about it. And, and this song has two different types of history. If you want to call it that it has mm-hmm. a specific historical event that happened in 1959. And then yeah, let's and, get into it. And then the aftermath that came from that, the song came out in, in, in 1971. So you kind of have with American pie, you have, you have both is it doesn't talk about the event as much, but when you understand the event, and then you understand how it shaped history. You can shape American history. You can understand where Don McLean was coming from. Right. Right. It, so, okay. That, that makes more sense. I'm glad you cleared that up because, because it's more, it's more about the aftermath of the event mm-hmm. um, and the um, what happened to, to American music. Well, not even American, just rock music mm-hmm. um, as a, as a result. So yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Let's see why. Uh, should we get into line by line? Um, are there, 
so so this one this section i'm I'm still kind of a <laughs> a little meta talk here about the podcast i'm still kind of hashing through how i want to do this line by line because um if you if you went back and listened to the sabaton episode we went every single line but this yeah. is like an eight minute song so <laughs> go through all the lines i think um, i think first i think it would be important to talk um about the history of the crash itself since the crash the it, it has to do with a plane crash that 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 killed three um, distinct and notable uh, rock and roll artists. I think we can talk, if if I may. I, I think we should yeah, talk go about ahead. The, cra- the crash itself first, maybe briefly, and then talk about the uh, Don McLean, the song that he wrote, the lyrics. Maybe go line by line, what they actually mean, and then maybe if if you if if we can, maybe talk about each of the artists and their significant role on in rock and roll. Cool. Time. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if if we can pick out any individuals from the from the lyrics themselves. I think so. I mean, so, I mean, we can, we can bring them up if they do, if they come up in the lyrics, we can, that's when we can talk about them. So, sure. So specifically Don McLean was a very big Buddy Holly fan Um, and Buddy Holly, uh, pardon me for the the time here. Um, Buddy Holly sang a couple, like I said, those rock songs that were like more of the dance hall rock songs, you know, like think about Elvis's jailhouse rock, um, uh, hound dog, um, all of that. Buddy Holly was a little bit different because Buddy Holly was was right up there on the level of Elvis um, as far as popularity. In fact, he was he was in in the in the UK. He was right up there, like neck and neck with Elvis. In fact, Buddy Holly was a big inspiration to the the Beatles, Paul McCartney, and, and John Lennon specifically. Um, and 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 we can get into the history of that because John Lennon did something, or no, Paul McCartney did something really really cool for for Buddy Holly's uh, um, wife. Um, and, and family and stuff later on, like in the seventies, but buddy Holly sang the songs, uh, every day, um, every day. Anyway, uh, that'll be the day Peggy Sue, uh, true love ways, rave on, um, the, the big three that, that I recognize are every day. That'll be the day. And Peggy Sue, he was buddy. Holly was the significant, um, the significant person that died in this plane crash. The plane crash happened on February 3rd. Uh, 1959. And, uh, and that ties into the history a little bit that we can get in a little bit later. Um, but I also want to note the other two artists that were pretty, uh, that were pretty significant. One was uh, Richie Valens. Uh, his actual name was uh, Richard uh, Valenzuela. And he sang uh, the song um, La Bamba. That's probably his most, his most well-known oh, song. Oh, really? Yeah. He sang La Bamba. Uh, he sang, uh, come on, let's go. And uh, and Donna, I mean, those are his kind of his three uh, big ones, right? He's saying a, a bunch of other ones, but the one is that the Donna is that oh Donna, mm-hmm. that's the one, nice. yeah. Uh, he's saying that one, and and then the the third one is uh, his name was Big. Well, okay, his stage name was Big Bopper, um, but his actual name was um, his last name was I think. Uh, hold on, one second, Richardson. Sorry, I get the pilot of the. Uh, <laughs> the pilot of the, um, the plane and the artist, uh, their first name or their last names, um, <laughs> mix up. Anyway, it was the big bopper and he was, his uh, name is uh, Giles Richardson Jr. Yep. Or Giles Perry or went by JP, uh, Richardson. Oh, cool. Um, but he also, but he went by the big bopper and the song, the main song that he sang was Chantilly Lace. Chantilly Lace with a pretty face and a ponytail, right? That was, that was the big bopper. So those songs were all, like quite popular back in those days. And Don McLean mentioned that Buddy Holly specifically was, 
Well, and if you go into the lyrics of the song, we can jump into that real quick. Yeah. He even talks about how the a long, long time ago, I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. Right. That mm-hmm. I think really jumps into the innocence uh, of American rock and roll at that time. Yeah. yeah. And again, the context is this is early seventies, late sixties mm-hmm. that he's writing this where you've just had a decade of, mm-hmm. of rock and roll music kind of taking a turn. Uh, yeah. Like it, it, it took a turn in, in, um, I don't know, like the tempo, the everything it, it generally took a turn. Well, and, and you look, we, we mentioned a little bit about the evolution of music, you know, and you look at the, it's like this, like I call it dance hall, rock and roll music. It's, it's just that kind of like that, that, that boppy rock and roll music, you know, you think of, yeah. Uh, yeah th- think back to the future yes, type of yes, thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and other, you know, like Elvis's early songs, especially his, those songs, um, uh, jailhouse rock, hound dog, um, blue suede shoes. And then even think of even the Beatles who came out after the, after the crash, but even their first songs like, uh, uh, love me, love me do, um, hold, I want to hold your hand. You know, those kind of earlier songs were more of that kind of like, you know, jingle jangle, like dance hall music stuff that was just like, I'm not, I'm not a a musical historian, but (laughs) like that, that was like, uh, Elvis's stuff was the hard stuff like that was the i mean it was obviously the radio stuff but i'm sure there was stuff that was harder but that that was rock and roll yeah and that and, was and there, and there wasn't split like there wasn't the a million splinters of rock and roll like there is today like that right. was it right and and elvis was seen uh, at the time he was seen as kind of the edge on the, the, that fringe of of being too much you know because he he created that sexualization to rock and roll whereas mm-hmm. whereas buddy holly he he wasn't he was a, a guy with glasses and and yeah he had he had female fans that really liked him and um and cheered and stuff and, but not quite like elvis he wasn't a, a sexual idol and uh, richie valens was only uh only an artist for uh, like his eight months when his, he was only like, that's, what's crazy is Richie Valens. And I want to get, I want to get a little bit more into him as well. He was 17 when the plane crashed and Dang. he was still in high school and he had only been recording professionally, like with their label for eight months. And he created some songs that like kind of live forever. And he has Richie Valens uh, was um, a Mexican American Latino artist, and his his he was considered one of the um, the forefathers of uh, it's called uh, Chicano rock, or or basically just you know he was one of the if not the first um, rock and roll uh, Hispanic rock and roll artists, and his influence lives lives today. And I, I'll get more, a little more into that because I did some some research on each of the artists and. But, um, that's the, that's the innocence that Don McLean is talking about is of, of that rock and roll is what these guys represented. And, um, and yeah, like you said, think back to the future, you know, like, like that time frame is, is the, is the music that we're talking about and the shift that happened from, from the end of the fifties. So that, so night from the sixties up until the end of the sixties, that 10 years. Um, and even he says it in the lyrics, he says for 10 years, we've been on our own because, uh, the song came out in 1971. The crash happened in, in 59. So yeah. 11, 11 to 12 years. Right. So he, he dec- likely, dec- he likely wrote it in the late sixties. Yes. Early 70s, yeah. So yeah. So for 10 years, we've been on our own, you know, and, and that's that aspect where the, as time went on, like it, it coincides, I'm not saying it's necessarily a correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. Um, but 
this, the event, the, the day the music died is that aspect it, that you can kind of pinpoint from there where our music and politics and things just kind of shifted and not necessarily in a bad way. Some people would say, I think Don McLean might feel that way, but. Well, I mean, it, it's shifted. a, it's a natural thing to long for the innocence. Of, exactly. It, it's like music <clears throat> and culture kind of went from being a preteen to a teen or maybe yeah. a, something like that. So they got it, things started getting angstier and yeah. maybe angst isn't the right word, but it, it's that type of feeling where it, it went from a happy go lucky to yeah. like more combative, more political, harder sounds, more, yeah. more electric guitar sounds and like faster drums, that type of thing. Well, and even, even Don McLean hit when he wrote the song, he did this on purpose. There were a few things he did on purpose. If you think about the first verse, it starts slow. And then it mm-hmm. moves fast. It does. And, then, yeah. and, then, and, and the song changes, it even changes where this, this one surprised me when I was looking up some facts about the song, the song actually starts in mono. Remember I mentioned I'm deaf in one ear. I don't hear in stereo. So I had no idea about this, <laughs> but the song starts in mono and gradually goes to stereo over its whole eight and a half minutes. So like it, it, it the song itself changes. And so, and so it's like, it kind Interesting. Of creates that aspect. So it like, it, so it, it goes from AM, it goes from AM to FM. Yeah. Uh, it, and it represents going from the mon- monaural area era to the age of stereo, you know, that, that, right. Thing. Right. Um, can I read this a little bit, this little quote that I found, um, Go for it. about, uh, Don McLean in the song. He said in December, in, in a December, 2019 interview with Fox news, McLean said that he wrote American pie, uh, that when he wrote American pie, he had in mind the theory that popular music and politics move in parallel. So you can tell the story of political history by telling the story of its contemporary popular songs and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the song, he said, every verse is darker than the last projecting the direction he saw America heading. And he also stated, you know, in 2019, he stated that America has indeed gone the way that he predicted. So (laughs) it is a bit of a tragedy uh, in his, in his mind, as he's writing this, that not only, the tragedy of the plane crash and the tragedy of, of these influential people passing. But, um, but then the way that things have shifted has kind of, yeah, been darker. Every verse has been darker than the last, maybe every decade has been a little bit darker than the last. If you want to put it that way, we've made amazing, incredible strides in a lot of things, technology, all of, you know, m- medically, all of those things. But, you know, a lot of people feel that Sometimes people, in fact, Rory was telling me that they wish that they were in the eighties, that they lived in the eighties because it seemed like it was such a more simpler time. And I was like, you know what? I remember the nineties, you know, pretty well. And, uh, that was, that was a good time, you know, like, and it's, it's interesting how we kind of long for the past and, and maybe that's kind of what Don McLean was touching on. Yeah. It's interesting that, uh, that, uh, youth would be saying that, but, um, yeah. Um, I guess to continue on that, that next first kind of sets up this um, alludes a lot more to this, uh, this crash. It says, Mm -hmm. but February made me shiver with, with every paper I'd deliver bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. Yeah. And then Um, it continues. I can't remember if I cried when I read about this widowed bride, something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Okay. So two things on that one, the, the February made me shiver the, uh, so Don McLean was a 13 year old paper boy when he saw the news that, uh, buddy Holly, Richie Valens and the big bopper died in that plane crash again, February 3rd, 1959. So it, the story is, is that he was delivering papers. He picked up the papers and he, you know, it cut the, the little 
thing holding the papers together and front page, first thing he saw, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Big Bopper die in a plane crash. Buddy Holly was his idol, right? And so you can, can you imagine being a 13-year-old kid, your favorite musician, you just find out that he dies in a horrible, violent car crash. And he's delivering bad news on everybody's doorstep and he couldn't take one more step, you know, like it's, it's very, he had, he had to be, yeah. he had to be the one that delivered the news. That's, and he, that, that is poignant. And he even mentioned that like the other people didn't take the news as hard as he did. Um, mm-hmm. And, and again, we can get more into the cultural aspect of it because who took the news harder is debatable. You know, you, you look at who was controlling the news out uh, outlets at the time, they probably weren't the big rock and roll fans that the kids like, like Don McLean was. Um, And, you know, you talk about Richie Valens and his influence on Hispanic Latino, like culture and their music and everything. And like how, how significant it was to them. So it's like, it had very specific, it had very far reaching impact their deaths, but Don McLean mentioned that like when he went to school, like it didn't feel that way. Right. And then that line, I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride, this almost made me cry when I read about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Buddy Holly um, and actually the big bopper were both married and Richie Valens was dating Donna, the the song that he made. And they both, they all, all three of them left some sweethearts behind, but Buddy Holly um, left his wife. They were married six months. Her name was uh, Maria Elena Santiago. Uh, Holly, she took his last name. She was left alone and pregnant. She was carrying their child. And then the day after hearing the plane crash, she had a miscarriage. So oh my goodness, I mean, that makes me like, honestly, I, <laughs> it makes me kind of tear up. makes me a little, a little somber thinking of that because that sucks. It really sucks because yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It is interesting too that he kind of dances between like the, the big meta um, narrative of how it's changed like the landscape, but yeah. also very, very personal stuff. Yeah. The, the next part of the song is it, we gets, he gets into the chorus. Bye bye. Miss American pie. Miss American pie kind of represents that innocence of America mm-hmm. and American music. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Um, them and them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye singing. This will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die them good that that when i would hear the chorus when i was a kid listening with my dad and my brothers and my sister and my mom i'll leave i'll include everybody but my dad is a is a big influence for this song for me because he would always tell me about the history of this song and and you know throw in little bits here and there and and this song is very poignant to me because i have a specific memory of listening to this song and listening to how it affected my dad my dad was only two two and a half, maybe when, when that crash happened. And so, but it still affected him. And so it's, it affected him. It affected me, you know, like, and it's just kind of like this generation generational effect, you know, and, and it happened for a lot of people, them good old boys. I I always, I never understood that. Like, why are people sitting around drinking whiskey and rye talking about when they're going to die? Like never made sense. But then McLean said, uh, the good old boys uh, are always there singing bye-bye Miss American pie, almost like fiddling while Rome is burning. Um, and fiddling while Roman and burning it references a story about uh, the Roman Nero playing a fiddle while the city uh, burned around him. So kind of this aspect, again, going back to America, getting darker and darker and the good old boys are just sitting there drinking whiskey and rice singing. This will be the day that I die. You know, like it's yeah. very, it's very poignant when you, when you think about this specific meaning of that. I like that. That's awesome. I guess to get into my history of the song is, is, isn't as robust as yours. I, I just heard it. Honestly, the only part of the song 
that I do remember is like that first verse and then the, the chorus. I, I, everyone knows the chorus, I think. I think I've done it, I've done it on karaoke a couple of times, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, I, I've never really thought too much about what it means. And, and I always assumed it was kind of more of an upbeat. Like I didn't, I never realized how sad it was. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to that extent, like it, you, it's an oldie. And so for, for someone who doesn't, maybe doesn't have that specific attachment, like I do, you know, like yourself, you at least have some sort of knowledge of maybe like listening to an oldies, oldies song or, or attaching this song to the oldies and therefore yeah. having, having it represent some aspect of the history of our country, you know, in that way. And, um, and, you know, again, like going back to just history of music, you and Jake talking about Sabaton, I'd never heard of, heard of, or heard, heard any Sabaton until you guys started talking about it. And so it's, it just goes back to what we we're talking about, about the significance of music in, you know, all cultures it's important, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, bringing light to it cool. because it does have that generational effect. So let's go, let's, let's continue on. We're not uh, just, just for anybody who's listening, we're not going to go over each and every <laughs> lyric that's an eight and a half minute song, but we're going to go through some poignant lyrics, but he's the next part says, uh, did you write the book of love? And do you have faith in God above if the Bible tells you so? That one uh, references, um, or probably references the 1958 hit the, the book of love. I think that's the one that goes, uh, love, 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 who wrote the book of love. Right. And so it, it just kind of references that kind of going back to that aspect of the, the innocent rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And then of course, Don was, was a practicing uh, Catholic and he believed that the music in the sixties, the, the depravity of that, if you will. So anyway, we can, we can carry on from that one. Anything else you want to, you want to mention? No, I'm just, it just seems like he's, he's set the stage a little bit and now he's mm-hmm. starting to get into, um, into the effects yeah. of the plane crash. So, yeah. And he, and he talks a little bit about how it affected him as a kid, you know, lonely, lonely teenage bonk and buck with a pink carnation and pickup truck. He knew he was out of, he was out of luck the day the music died, get back into the chorus. Bye-bye Miss American pie. And then he goes back into that aspect. Now for 10 years, we've been on our own again, 10 years, about 10 years had passed since the, uh, since the crash. Uh, and Moss grows fat on a fat on a rolling stone. That one's kind of funny because I I didn't, you know, there's a lot of these things. He talks about gestures. He talks about kings and queens, marching bands and all that stuff. And and they all have specific meanings. Moss mm-hmm. grows fat on a rolling stone, right? Well, he's obviously referring to a, to a rolling stone, right? Mick Jagger talks, he, they uh, talks about an appearance in a concert in, in skin tight outfits, but he has this roll of fat. He's, he was a skinny <laughs> front man or front man, but he, he was kind of age was getting to him or, or maybe, maybe, um, you know, life. He was uh, a skinny fat. He was a skinny fat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, life had gotten to him. Maybe he was, he was gaining some weight. Right. And then, and then the rolling stone don't gather no moss is actually a buddy appears in a buddy Holly song. So it's like, it kind of has this double meaning where you're talking about Mick Jagger and the rolling stones. And then also let a rolling stone gathers no mosses specifically plays reference to another buddy Holly song. Yeah. And, and he could be referencing fat on a rolling stone as it may be not necessarily physically fat, but maybe his, his personality, his yeah. gratu- gratuitous uh, nature. Yeah. And a lot of these, I don't think, I don't think Don has specifically gone through line by line and said what each of these meanings. So a lot of these are just like, what people interpret them as, as being. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in my brief research, I haven't mm-hmm. researched as much as you have on the song and, and mm-hmm. the surrounding stuff, but um, every time I did any research, it always said there's lots of speculation about these yes. lyrics. There's, yeah. there's lots of symbolism that he hasn't, that he has refused to uh, speak on. And so he, he has actually recently, like you mentioned, 2019 interview, he's done like, I think 2015 interview where he, where he talked a lot about stuff, but 
for the most part, it's all yeah. up to interpretation. Yeah. And, and and we should note that because people will interpret what they want, you know, and, and, and everything. And, and you kind of have to put yourself in the head of, of Don McLean as take the things that he said about the music, about his lyrics and kind of interpret it how you, you know, how you want. But these are, these are some interpretations that I think are pretty significant. So coming from the history of music podcast, you've heard the, the official interpretation first here. <laughs> this is, this is set in stone. Yeah. This so this is isn't, this isn't like the, like a sabaton where they're actually talking about events that actually transpired. We're talking about, we're talking about interpretation of lyrics here. So yep. uh, going on, he says, when the jester sang to the King and Queen in a coat, he borrowed from James Dean. The jester is probably Bob Dylan uh, referring to him wearing a coat. He borrowed from James Dean. So, and, and then later on in the, in, in the song, he talks about him being on the uh, the jester being on the sidelines in a cast. So Bob Dylan wore a red jacket, similar to James Dean on the cover, similar to a jacket that James Dean wore. Uh, on the cover of freewheeling Bob Dylan. Um, and he also got in a motorcycle motorcycle accident in 66 and that put him out of service basically for that year. Um, huh. and then also Bob Dylan made frequent jo- use of jokers and jesters, uh, and clowns and all that stuff in his lyrics. So, so I'm pretty sure the jester and the jester comes back in the, in the, in the song uh, a few times, actually, uh, he talks about a, bo- a voice coming from you and me. That's, you know, could just be our own interpretations of how we're feeling in the moment, but also the, the folk style that Don McLean uh, sings while the mm-hmm. King was looking down, the jester stole his thorny count crown. Who's the King of rock and roll, right. Is, uh, mm-hmm. is, El- is Elvis. Um, yeah. Uh, they're talking about how Bob Dylan took Elvis Presley's place as the number one performer again, interpretation, but while Lennon read a book on Marx, um, that could be taken two ways, uh, either Vladimir Lenin, sorry, go ahead. No, keep going. (laughs) Could be taken taken about Vladimir Lenin and, and reading the book, you know, reading about Marx, um, and interpreting or, and creating that what's it called? Um, I'm my, the words are escaping me, but the philosophy, if you will, about, um, communism and everything that mm-hmm. in Russia and uh, the USSR and everything. And then there's also Lenin, John Lennon, uh, the Beatle, uh, reading more into Marx, Karl Marx, or, uh, even, uh, Groucho, Mar- Groucho Marx, uh, <laughs> who was people suspected of being a, a socialist as well. So it could be both, but again, uh, yeah, I, I personally don't read that much into it. I think it's probably <laughs> John Lennon and I think it is reading Karl Marx. Yeah. I think it's John Lennon reading and uh, reading about Karl Marx because I also, because the Beatles were heavily influenced by Buddy Holly, just like Don McLean and Don McLean does make more reference to the uh, uh, Beatles. In fact, in the next line. <laughs> yeah. If, if it's the theme of the song for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quartet practiced in the park is the next line. Um, the quartet be the Beatles performing the Beatles. At, at Shea stadium. Mm-hmm. And we sang dirges in the dark. The day the music died, uh, references the, uh, sixties peace marches could be whether it's the, the marches against the Vietnam or maybe, uh, civil rights marches. Um, like the, know, the dirges in the dark. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That um, totally makes sense. Yeah. And then, uh, we get into the chorus again and then we go helter skelter in a summer swelter. Helter Skelter refers to the Manson family and their attack mm-hmm. on Sharon Tate and others in California that summer. The birds flew off a fallout shelter. I, that one, I'm not really sure about. I kind of want to just skip it. <laughs> uh, it just refers to a band called the birds and just uh, a term for drug rehabilitation. Mm. Uh, it, the uh, fallout shelter is a 60s term for drug rehabilitation. So, um, And one of the members of the birds checked into, uh, or he so was- he, He's kind of just listing pretty- Rapid succession. Yes. A, a yeah. bunch of uh, degeneracy that happened in the 60s. Yes, in exactly. 60s rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, eight miles high and falling fast. That one, I'm not, uh, that one, I'm not sure. Cause he talks about, um, uh, the birds had a hit called eight miles high. Right. But also you think about it, the song does come from a plane crash and the, the yeah. plane crash itself was pretty violent. Now the plane wasn't eight miles high, eight miles high is like 40 something thousand miles feet above the ground, you know, like that, the plane wouldn't have been that high. So you don't take it literally there, but you know, you think about it, the, the, the plane did fall very, very fast and yeah, had a very and the, violent accident. And the, the next line is it landed, fell on the grass, mm-hmm. which kind of is part of the previous stanza or, or verse and mm-hmm. the next one. So th- there's a lot of double meetings here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's another one that I noticed in, in research. I can't remember it, but you mentioned one earlier that this, there's a lot of double meanings. So yeah. Halftime air was sweet perfume while the sergeants played a marching tune. Um, the sergeants playing marching tune is most likely a reference to the Beatles album, Sergeant mm-hmm. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, again, the Beatles, uh, that, that album was a huge influence um, on American Pie. And uh, McLean has said in numerous interviews that the song represented the turn from innocence of the 50s to a darker, more volatile time of the 60s, uh, both music and, and politics. And, th- and that also goes with, you know, along with the Beatles music, their Sgt. Pepper album, you know, like their, their own evolving um, music as well. Um, right. Let's keep going from there. We got the chorus again, generation all in one place, a gener- or we were all in one place, a generation lost, lost in space. So just kind of that feeling of, I guess, being alone that, that like these pioneers of rock and roll are, are no longer there to kind of help lift, lift us. It's, it's kind of this, this dark and dreary. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's very much a perspective thing because while like he longs and pines for the past, the the simpler time, mm-hmm. everyone else is sprinting forward, mm-hmm. and that, like the Beatles are changing every album they have, they they're mm-hmm. evolving, yeah. um, and so uh, from his perspective, like he doesn't have time to dance, he doesn't have like uh, he he feels lost in space, and so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the flame uh, or sorry, uh, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack flash sat on the candlestick. His fire is the devil's only friend. That one, there's, there's a lot of speculation on that one. Some people reference could it be, could think it might be a reference of the space race between Russia and America. Mm. Uh, also people think that it could reference the uh, Rolling Stones sympathy for the devil. Um, and I, I won't get too much into that, but there's, there's some thought on that anyway. Could be uh, both. Yeah, it could be. The flames climbed high into the night. There was a, a concert, a Rolling, Rolling Stones concert, uh, Altamont Speedway concert in 69. Uh, a fan was stabbed to death by a member of the, Hell, of the Hells Angels who was hired for security. So just kind of this oh, more, yeah, vi- I've re- more violence. Why did I recently hear about that? It, w- it wasn't researching this. Oh, it was a different song. There's, a, there's another song that I was researching for this podcast. Interesting. That um, was the, the band was there at that concert and wrote a song about it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, and, and me personally, when, as I was listening to it, hearing, you know, coming back to my, my remembering that this song is about the aftermath of what happened with the plane crash. When I heard as the flames climbed high into the night, I thought it had to do with actually the plane crash. So could it be referenced to the plane wreckage? You know? Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is like, like we said, the double meaning and yeah. he's, there's obviously, so, so there's, there's a, overarching theme of kind of destruction, falling flames, this type of thing, but they all also reference their individual uh, components. And so I think all the individual components point in their own way to the overarching theme with flames and 
uh, falling and yeah. all that stuff. I think you're absolutely right. Um, the next significant one, I met a girl who sang the blues. I asked her for some happy news. This is where the song starts coming back down in terms of uh, tempo. Um, anyway, I met a girl who sang the blues. I asked her for some happy news and she just smiled and turned away. Um, was uh, Is a reference to um, Janis Joplin, uh, who actually died of a drug overdose in 1970. Oh, dang. Um, yeah. So again, just really sad, <laughs> sad events that, you know, that, that happened that kind of have our, our music. Again, you got to remember that Don McLean, I almost said Paul McCartney, <laughs> Don McLean has this, this idea as he's writing this song that politics you know, world history is changing along with music. So he's talking about these musicians and how things are changing. He's talking about these, this violence. He's talking about this, um, these significant tragedies happening and and how that coincides with world history. So, so even right. though he's, even though he's talking about the Beatles, he's talking about the Rolling Stones, he's talking about Janis Joplin. It's also very much in t- tied into what's happening in, in history. Yeah, th- those are, those are microcosms of what's happening across the world and yeah. in, in society at the time. So the, these are just like focused incidences that represent a larger picture. Yeah. And then the last, probably most significant verse uh, that, that probably everybody remembers is the three men I admire most, the father, son, and the Holy ghost. They caught the last train to the coast the day the music died. Uh, and then they were singing and then they go back into the, he goes back to sings the chorus twice and the song's over. So Don McLean said the song led to the ending, which was almost quiet. Again, talking about the tempo, uh, the gods from the Bible jumped on the train uh, and went to California, he said, which is a garden of sin. So even when, even when the music died, he, he felt basically that, that essentially God had abandoned, had abandoned America at that point. And we're just kind of left to our own devices, I guess. I, and, and that's just, again, interpretation, but also it was for a long time, it was also considered that the father, we're talking again about these three artists. The father was Buddy Holly. The son was uh, Richie Valens, and then the Holy Ghost was the big bopper. Oh, interesting. And then they, tra- they caught the last train for the coast uh, the day the music died. So basically they're, they're gone. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that kind of possible double meaning, but yeah. And that's when you, when you think about that now, let's getting back into the history, the song and the history. And we're just kind of talking about how, when Don McLean wrote this song, it was sparked by a historical event that really significantly impacted his life. And then for 10 years, he noticed and witnessed the, the change in politics and philosophy for better and for worse. And his song focuses on the tragedy and the, the things that have happened that have shaped American history, specifically with rock and roll. And, and it's interesting that he's uh, even now interviews as recent as three years ago, He's uh, kept up that same vision or that same uh, outlook. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, he he uh, apparently from what you just shared that he he says that history, recent history has confirmed his predictions in the song. Yeah. So I find that I find it interesting that he that he still holds those those beliefs and he still feels that strongly about this. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. So. I think, I think at that point we kind of like have reached that aspect of talking about the song specifically and, and what the lyrics mean and what Don McLean was meaning. I think we've, I think we've kind of hit on that. Mm -hmm. If you may, can I, would you mind if I talk a little bit more about the history itself of the, uh, well, I want to talk about the the plane crash and the tour that they were on. And then I, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit more about each, um, each. Oh yeah. This is like the interesting stuff. Yeah. 
it, the, the, this is definitely the the next segment of the of the show where we we talk about we fill in some of the gaps that that weren't we weren't able to um necessarily hit on during during the lyrics section yeah so yeah let's, let's get into it because it is significant to point out that these artists um again specifically buddy holly and richie valens were significant uh inspirational people artists to a lot of people and to to multiple cultures of people too and that's that's a significant thing to note. The crash. Let's. Uh, I want to talk about the crash first, and so I want to start by start talking about the crash with talking about the tour. And um, I'm going to do something here uh, because we are recording this over Zoom, and so that means we're recording video. So if you are watching video, I'm going to share a picture here of the tour that they were on, and this picture. Um, this picture shows the dates of the tour pre-crash and then after the crash. Um, and, uh, and, and if you're not watching a video, if you're listening, uh, I, I imagine if it's okay with you, Scott, I'd like to include this, uh, this picture in show notes so that people can reference sure. it as well. Yeah. Um, little, little history, historical, uh, <laughs> leading some, get, giving some credence to what we're talking about here. So give me a second while I share this. Um, Okay. So what you're seeing here is, uh, so the tour was in the Midwest and the upper Northern States, but by the great lakes. So Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri. And I have never, I have never really been in those States. I've been in those States, but I've never been in those States during the winter. This tour ran from the end of January to middle of February. The, these guys were playing a show every single day without a break. And the, if, if you're not familiar with the winter in those areas, it's frigid. It is so bad. If you have ever seen the movie Fargo or the TV show Fargo, think of that, right? Where it's just, it's just bad. Um, and these yeah, guys, like consistently every day, negative thirties type thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And these guys and their bandmates were, uh, were all on a bus and the bus was doing a lot of miles. As you can see here in this graph, uh, we're doing a lot of miles every day and night. And the bus was constantly breaking down specifically their heater was breaking down and people were getting sick. Uh, notably the big bopper had the flu and I believe, uh, Richie Valens had a cold or he might've even had the flu, but they were like, people were getting sick, uh, like headlining members of the, the show were getting sick. Um, and so if you see here, these guys, these guys had to be tired. I mean, look at the way that this zigzags, I mean, they're going from Wisconsin, <laughs> Wisconsin to Minnesota, back to Wisconsin, back to Minnesota. And then, um, and then kind of up and down and now in Iowa and, and then like, and then, Anyway, it's just going back and forth. And it's like, obviously the, the tour was not planned very well because number one, you're touring in those States during the middle of winter. Like yeah. I, I get it. These, these, these halls, these concert halls need to need to fill, fill seats and make money in the winter, but come on, like, <laughs> like that on a bus, like, Oh boy. So basically people were getting sick. The bus was breaking down. People were in dirty clothes. Um, they were, it was just not very good conditions for people who were like, really well off. These guys were rich. Like Richie, Richie Valens bought his at 16 or 17 year old. He, he bought his mom a house, you know, like these guys weren't, these guys could, it wasn't like they had to do this, but that's what, it, that's what was going on. And so on February 2nd, uh, they played a show in Clear Lake, Iowa. And then buddy Holly, um, what's the word 
I can't think of it. Chartered? Chartered. That's it. He chartered a flight to take them from uh, Clear Lake, Iowa to Moorhead, Minnesota. And I believe, uh, forgive me, I might be wrong here, but I believe Moorhead is actually really close to Fargo. So again, referencing Fargo only for geographical and and climate (laughs) references here. But you'll see if you're looking at this picture, there's a red line going from from, uh, Clear Lake to Moorhead. Now, the day before, so February 1st, they were in Wisconsin up right by the lake, uh, the Eastern Wisconsin, and they were going to, all the way to Iowa and Iowa is West of Wisconsin. They went through the whole state of Iowa or Wisconsin and almost halfway through Iowa, 350 miles. And you got to remember, this is in the fifties. They didn't like major highways. Like we have them today. They, they weren't the same and they didn't, or they didn't exist. So these buses, this bus was taking old country roads, maybe old highway, right. old, old, not necessarily major freeways like we have, but like old highways, maybe like two yeah. Th- this map that you shared is a little deceiving because it shows straight lines as yeah. the crow flies. Like this, this, <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't take those routes. Yeah. So and I'm looking at the dates and the, the, the dates are literally like January 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, yes. 27th, 28th, 29th. Like every night was a different yeah. city upwards of 300 miles away. Yeah. At 300 miles away on a straight line. But when you consider the roads, the bus traveled the night yeah. before they traveled, it traveled 350 miles. Now I want to give some reference. Okay. I live in Salt Lake city. I grew up in Boise, uh, Boise and Salt Lake is about 350 miles away on a major, on a major highway going 75, 80 miles an hour. You can make that trip in five hours. Right. That's pretty much the standard. A bus going what? Maybe they were going 50, 55. That probably a would bus have, in the in the 50s. Like in, in yeah. In they, the snow. they didn't go fast that back <laughs> then. Go, it, no. Yeah. So it probably took maybe six to seven to eight hours. So they were on that yeah. bus, you know, from, from February 1st to February 2nd, they had to be exhausted and sick and cold and like and in stinky clothes. Oh man, I can't imagine. It must have sucked. And in the middle of winter. And so they were on these old country roads and everything. And so they finally, they get into February 2nd, they get into Clear Lake, they play a show um, at the venue. I, I, I can pull it up here, but um, I'm going to talk about this, this, this route for a second. Buddy Holly charters a, f- a flight for basically for himself and his bandmates to go from Clear Lake to Moorhead. And that, and then what happens is the bopper was sick with the flu. So one of the bandmates gave his seat to, to the big bopper so, so that he could get some rest and he could try to recover. And then Richie Valens was also sick, but he got his seat from a coin toss, which is crazy to think about. Can you imagine the oh guilt? Oh my goodness. Right? Can you imagine the guilt of the person who lost the coin toss and is has survived that? But yeah, coin toss. Or, or, or just the guy that, that gave his seat to the big bopper exactly. like like that that was a i mean it was a charitable move like you're sick you can take the flight yeah but yeah th- i mean that doesn't make that, that doesn't help much with the guilt that guy feels i'm yeah. sure yeah so so the flight takes off and relatively the weather itself wasn't too bad but the visibility was low because the clouds were low right you're talking february 2nd right or actually it was after it was after midnight so it was actually officially february 3rd the plane takes off and it crashes about 5 to 6 miles off the runway it didn't get very far and oh really no it didn't get far at all they realized when they didn't arrive at their location that morning that next morning basically they decided to look and at like 9:30 that morning they they found the wreckage and it was bad the plane it was a oh uh, it's worth noting what kind of plane it was cuz it was a four pa- well three passenger and and the pilot so four people were on the plane that's the only people that could that could fit the specific plane is called a bear with me just a second a beechcraft bonanza 
So it's a small, <laughs> it's, it's a small plane. It's not, uh, and there is a little bit of, um, what do you call it? There's a little bit of, uh, I'm trying to think here. Conspiracy, uh, uh, not conspiracy. Um, well, we'll get into that. The plane crashed and hit and the impact when it made impact, it hit at 170 miles per hour. And the three, so, so there was no pulling up. It seemed like it. Well, the, the thought is that, um, because he, the pilot couldn't see, and he was reading his instruments that he, there's a thought that he might have thought he was ascending when he was actually descending. Got it. Um, and he hit the ground at 170 miles an hour, buddy Holly and Richie Valens were all, all of them died on impact. Um, so I know that's, that's violent, but at least they didn't suffer. I mean, yeah. uh, and they all died on impact and Richie buddy Holly and the big bopper were thrown from the plane, buddy Holly and Richie Valens were found relatively close to the, uh, the plane and the big bopper was actually thrown a little bit further and he was actually found in another cornfield. A little, wow. bit, a little bit farther away. And then the, the pilot, uh, I, I feel like we should note his name uh, as well. Uh, his name was Roger Peterson. He was actually still in the, in the aircraft and tangled up with it when the, the aircraft landed and rested on a, on a barbed wire fence. And it, so specifically the aircraft, it hit, it was violent. It was 170, 170 miles per hour when it as at impact. And then those three passengers were ejected. Um, but the plane kind of cartwheeled through mm-hmm. the, uh, through the, uh, the field and it went 300, uh, it went about a football field and a half, about 160 meters that just tumbled, tumbling. The Holy plane crap. So you have to think they, they died on impact. They were ejected from the plane, which means all three of those guys also kind of tumbled with that as well. So it was violent. Yeah. It was very violent and sad. Oh, it, it just, it kind of brings this feeling of just like, um, just, it crushes a little bit. It's just, it's really, it's really sad. And it's, it was preventable, you know, it was preventable because the stops, the everywhere they went, could have been managed better. They could have tried to, they didn't have to travel so far and, and be, it, it didn't have to be so hard. And yeah. And then the, the conspiracy or the, um, the, I guess the, I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of here is that they did some investigations on the crash and there is some question on whether, uh, Roger Peterson was, uh, was, uh, should have been flying. There is, there's, there's, a controversy surrounding the amount of flying hours, the amount, the amount of hours he had on that specific plane, logging instrument flight training. And that people said, say that he actually wasn't certified or he was only certified to operate an under, under visual flight rules, which this plane did not match. So there's that question about the, the questionable aspect of should they, should, should they have even gotten on the plane and should Roger Peterson had even flown it. And that's just a sad little element that you kind of have to add to it because there's all these, there's always going to be investigations and some sort of controversy behind it. Yeah, I mean, just based on some of the evidence and my excellent uh, forensic analysis, <laughs> um, the fact that he hit the ground at that angle going that fast, it makes it, it, it doesn't seem like he read his instruments wrong. Yeah. And that seems like a, 
yeah, just a mistake of, of, uh, inexperience. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It sucks. Um, it really, really does. The people that these, these artists left behind, uh, the crash was, was violent. Shouldn't have happened. The, 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 the elements of chance behind it, you know, Richie winning the coin toss also Richie Valens was, uh, he was afraid of flying, which we can get to in there in, in each of the history, the history of each of their. Yeah. Let's do a quick history of, of each of them. So let's talk about, I'm going to talk, since we're talking about Richie Valens, I'm going to talk about Richie first. Um, Richie was, uh, he had only been an artist, like I mentioned earlier for eight months or no, he had only been signed with a record Delphi records in, in, uh, in California for eight months. Uh, he wasn't on very long, but it says a lot about him because of the, the music that he created. It it stood the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. O'Donna song. It's like that, that was not mm-hmm. a 16, 17 year old kid. Yeah. Holy and, crap. And La Bamba as well. La Bamba, yeah. La Bamba traditionally is a, is one of those traditional Mexican, uh, Mexican songs. I don't want to call it mariachi music, but it's, it's one of those traditional uh, Mexican songs and he made it into a rock and roll song and it became a huge hit. And, and I mean, the kid was again, imagine dude, Scott, imagine doing what you love and being able to buy your parents a house at age 17. Yeah. Right. Insane. Like he was, he was on top of the world. He was, he was, I, in my research for, uh, not just reading about Richie Valens. Um, I also watched the movie La Bamba. Very good. Very sad. Um, if you've ever seen the gif or GIF, if you want to get official, whatever the gif of, uh, of the, the man yelling Richie with his arms in the air. Have you seen that one? Um, mm-hmm. that comes from the movie La Bamba. That's his brother, Bob. And it's just, it's, it's a great story that just happens to be a tragedy because you're watching the movie, you know, if you know the history of Richie Valens, you know that he dies in a plane crash. And so you see this kind of like storytelling uh, of that, um, that he has a fear of flying. And I looked into this, there was some stuff that actually truly happened that when I was watching the movie, I was like, did that really happen? Or are they actually telling this part of the story? Because it's a good storytelling thing where Richie, Richie, Richie had a, had a fear of flying. And the reason why he had a fear of flying was because some friends of his at, um, Pacoima junior high, it's now Pacoima, uh, middle school, I think anyway, um, some friends of his actually died from an, a midair, uh, collision plane, the okay. midair, midair collision. And then the wreckage fell onto the junior high and, and killed two kids and injured like 75 others. Holy um, cow. It's called the 1957 Pacoima midair collision. I looked it up. <laughs> it's there. I, I don't, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing. I, I it's kind of that, that nervous, you know, yeah, yeah, irony yeah, laugh. Gotcha. like it, it sucks. Um, but he developed a fear of flying and, and it's, dramatically ironic. I don't want to say humorless. It's not humorous at all. It's, it's dramatically ironic that, that, uh, he would eventually die in a plane crash, a violent one as well. Um, I mean, yes. any plane crash, not violent, sorry, that's, but, <laughs> um, but Richie, Richie Valens had a, um, a significant impact on, uh, on, um, Hispanic Latino, uh, musical culture. He's considered the first, uh, Hispanic rock and roller. And he, uh, he's considered a, a forefather of, um, this, uh, this movement called, uh, Chicano rock, um, or it's really, it's, it's rock music performed by uh, Mexican American groups. Right. And right, right. he's considered a forefather of, of them. And, uh, and he's, he's very important to, uh, to their, um, their history, their, their heritage. 
and we talk about generational generational impact, right? I talk about how me listening to American Pie with my dad, as my dad's telling me the history about this and how it affected Don McLean and the Beatles and all that, and it, and it has this generational impact. Richie Valens, who was only 17 years old when he died, had that same gener- generational impact on an entirely different group of people different from myself. I'll, I'll, I'll specify that, but a, a group of people that was just as significant and just as important. And, right. and so, so he, he was already pretty impactful with those, with those songs. They were, they were big hits. Yeah. But I mean, I, I've kind of, uh, I don't know if I coined the term, but like the, obviously they all, they all died in their prime, like while they were doing mm-hmm. the stuff it, and it's, um, th- there's lots of examples just like that. There's, yeah. uh, um, yeah, Chris Farley. There's what's the Nirvana guy? Uh, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. Jimmy yeah, that's what I call it. The Kurt Cobain effect, mm-hmm. where it's like sometimes their death kind of propels them into an atmosphere of of fame that otherwise they wouldn't have been, or or they might have over time pulled themselves out of because because uh, I don't know. You, you can compare Chris Farley to David yeah. Spade and and uh, and Adam Sandler type thing, where but um, I wonder how. I mean, I mean, there's obviously examples of that not happening where they do yeah. stay up in the in the top tiers of of like respect and and uh, and success. And so I just you, you, and that's what sucks about it is you just don't yeah. know. You, you'll you don't never know. know. And all all you do know is what they made, the effect of what they made, mm-hmm. and the effect of the shock of their death has uh, has. Well, what did that do to? To that you talk about like that Hispanic, that Mexican Mexican American heritage, and what that did mm-hmm. to, to that, and what but what could have happened had he had he continued making music? So I mean, what really could have happened? It's always a it's always a what could have could have should have happened could have should have thing, right? But you know, it, it, when you say what what happened, is it immortalized them, right? And 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 I made this made this comment as I was as I've been talking about this particular song and the history behind this song is. We talk, we've talked about the evolution of music, right? And how everybody's music changed. You know, you had Elvis Presley singing about jailhouse gel rock and Elvis Presley singing about uh, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. And then he's singing about a, a song called In the Ghetto, talking about um, someone born in the ghetto and, and basically learning life the only way he knows how and base and and has no way to get out of that situation because of his because of his circumstances and you even elvis you know who was a part of this group had had that change in his music style his music influence what his music was influenced by same with Mm -hmm. the beatles We, we we mentioned that i i really wish that with richie valens and buddy holly and and the big bopper i wish that we would have been able to see what kind of music Richie Valens would have what he would have been able to make because he was 17 and he was making these great songs and he had such a drive. And, and I really, really would have loved to see what he would have done more. Uh, And he influenced so many great, uh, great Latino musicians. Uh, Like uh, one that specific is is coming to my mind is, is uh, Santana, Carlos Santana, like, Mm -hmm. and, and he's, he's influenced so many people. And, and, you know, it's, it's this snowball effect where Carlos Santana was influenced by Richie Valens, but, you know, and then Carlos uh, and Santana has influenced so many other people and, and it just kind of creates a snowball effect. And I, I really wonder what Richie Valens music would have been like, had he had he survived or had yeah, he, and that, had he that actually, not gone on a plane? That, that actually brings up one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit is um, 
that uh, idea, but at the larger scale or like to take a mm-hmm. couple steps back mm-hmm. and, um, and then ask the question, th- did that plane crash usher in this more, I guess, how Don McLean would explain a downhill turn or was it like, what is, is the music downhill from the culture or is the culture downhill from the music type thing? That's a good question. I think that that base is based off of, you know, opinion and conjecture. Right. I think that, and I mentioned this before, I, I don't think correlation equals causation here. I don't think that this plane crash and their deaths necessarily necessarily caused, caused it, but it was a point that you can, you can take this point and then kind of go from there and see the change. Right. Um, right. 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 I think that's kind of more what we're looking at. Um, I do. So, think- so, so, so had this young 17 year old rising star stuck around, he probably would have went went the way of maybe the Beatles or something where yeah. he, he would have grown and changed his music along with the, the rest of the, uh, the rest of rock and roll. Yeah. And who knows what kind of, uh, debaucherous things he would have come up with. You <laughs> maybe, know? maybe, maybe not, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is debauchery or even possibly poignant and even wholesome, yeah. if you will, you know, like yeah, who and, knows, who knows? And that's, right, what's, right. that's what's sad. That's why you call it a tragedy, right? It's because you don't know. And, and that's, it's so hard. And, and if you haven't seen the movie La Bamba, I would recommend it. It's, it's good. It's sad. I'm telling you, someone is going to be cutting onions in the room when you get to that <laughs> moment and you're just, you see the emotion of the people who loved him and the, and the way that his, his death impacted a lot of people. And it's so heartbreaking. I like, it is so sad and yeah. And getting, getting into like kind of shifting into, into Buddy Holly, his, his story was also, you know, sad in terms of who, you know, how his music affected people. again, why we're here, we're talking about Don McLean being affected by Buddy Holly and writing the song, which is why we're here talking about this in the first place. Buddy Holly left a, left his wife who was, who he had not, he had been married to for six months and she was pregnant with their child. Like, like that sucks. That's sad. And like, you know, you're reading, you read about this and his mom upon hearing about his death collapsed and just was so had so much grief over this, you know, and like, of course, you know, you you hear about this, your son dying at the age of 22. That's the other thing. Buddy Holly was 22. Richie Valens was 17. And the big bopper, I think was 27. So these guys were young, right? They're, they weren't, they weren't old by any Yeah. yeah but Buddy Holly had been Let's see his his years active on Google as far as like his musical years is is uh fifty two to fifty nine or fifty seven to fifty nine so that's I guess the crickets are fifty seven to fifty nine but um yeah he wasn't like he wasn't like an old hand he he was also right right yeah well and and you and you think about that like so his his actual career kind of started a little bit right after Elvis right in fact Buddy Holly played. Uh, he either opened or he was one of the opening bands for Elvis in Texas in 1955. Right. So Mm -hmm. Buddy Holly's career kind of had this trajectory that went along with Elvis. Again, Elvis was a lot higher because Elvis had the sex appeal. Elvis was, was, he was a sex icon, the idol or whatever. He, He pushed it. He pushed the envelope, but there is an argument that Buddy Holly was possibly more popular in the UK. Um, Buddy, Buddy Holly, even though he had that, that's, 
sex appeal, if you will. He was a, he kind of looked dorky and he had curly hair and glasses. Think about the, the Weezer song. You know, I look just like Buddy Holly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You don't want to look like, uh, (laughs) was it Como, Como, whatever his name is. Yeah. That's yeah. And and that's, and you, you think about that and, and that's, that's Buddy Holly for you, but his music was, his music was great. It was poignant and it influenced, it influenced, influenced the Beatles It influenced a lot of people. Um, speaking of influence, going back to American pie, American pie, uh, actually influenced the song, uh, killing me softly with his song, the, uh, the performer or not the performer, the songwriter. Um, I'm going to have to look the, look at this real quick. Uh, Lori Lieberman, uh, saw McLean perform and, uh, she claimed that she was moved by the concert that her experience became the basis for her song, killing me softly with a song that's debated by other people who were involved in that song, but it just kind of shows this American pie song, how influential it was. So we're just, as long as we're talking about influence, right. That's, that's kind of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Buddy, Buddy Holly's career career was on the same trajectory, just maybe not as, not as high, but at the same trajectory as Elvis. Um, right. And Elvis lived and performed until his untimely death in 1977. Buddy Holly, I would, I would put him at him personally, his career, his, his stardom, if you will, I would put him more from 55 to when he died in 59. So only like four years, you know, you got Richie Valens, eight months being signed to a label, Buddy Holly, probably four to five years of actually well-known artistry and the big bopper. He had his main song that was, was popular with Chantilly Lace, but he had been performing he, his, his career is kind of a little bit, a little bit different. He was, he worked at a radio station and then he would sing and then a song became popular and he'd kind of tour. He wasn't as popular as the other two, but he was still a significant, a significant member of that, in that, uh, group. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, keep going. Is there, uh, is there anything else about this song or story that you wanted to add? No, I, if anything, I'd probably just be reemphasizing things so we can probably start to wrap things up. The, mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned to you kind of pre-recording and, and stuff is I, I, I kind of wanted to focus on three things. And I feel like we did like focusing on American pie, the meaning of the song, going through the lyrics and everything, which we did talking about the, uh, the plane crash and the history of the plane crash and the tour itself. Uh, I think we covered that pretty well. And then, and then just the, the musicians themselves. I know we didn't give an, uh, as much time on the big bopper as we did Richie Valens and, and, uh, and buddy holly but i I think we kind of covered them a little bit as well and and you know go listen to their songs um buddy Mm -hmm. holly and richie valens and big bopper like they're great songs they're fun like (laughs) i was listening to chantilly lace by the big bopper i was listening to it today and and it was it's kind of has it's funny it's he it's it's kind of like a satirical song of him talking to his girlfriend on the phone he's like "Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh Oh, come on. You know, like it's funny. And then, uh, and then I was listening, I I'm a sucker for cover songs. Right. And I was listening to some covers of, um, Richie Valens songs. Come on, let's go by, Ooh, by the Ramones. I think, uh, they covered it and then misfits covered O'Donna, um, or just covered. I think it's just Donna, but I think they called it O'Donna anyway, really, really fun stuff. So, so these guys didn't just influence, uh, American pie, like these guys influenced rock and roll like forever. Um, and if, right. if you really want to look at it, look at it, look at not just Don McLean, but look at the Beatles. I don't think we would have, but the Beatles without buddy Holly. Yeah. And, and as much as, uh, Chris and a lot of people like to diss on the Beatles. So we're going to dog on Chris. You suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't, you can't deny their influence on everything and there. And so the, the, like there's, there's layers to it. And 
the layer we're on wouldn't happen with the with the previous without the previous and so on and so on and these yeah. guys these guys laid down a foundation that we enjoy the fruits of now so there was one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, I, I teased it a little bit in, earlier in the episode about something that McCartney had done for Holly and for Buddy Holly. Oh, and his right. family. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I just, I just want to just mention this real quick. So there was some drama, some, some controversy. Is it controversy? Yeah. Controversy, not conspiracy. Uh, anyway, controversy behind Buddy Holly and his, uh, the, his manager, I guess. And uh, basically even after Buddy Holly's death, even after Buddy Holly's death, he basically, uh, Buddy Holly's wife wasn't getting as much of the money as much as, as much as she should have. Right. He, the, this other guy, I, I can't remember his name. And I don't really even want to mention his name was kind of taking a lot of it, but in 1975 McCartney, sorry, I'm just trying to find this specific thing here that I found McCartney bought the studio, the studio that, that was running buddy holly's music and kind of creating more updated versions of the song or or like creating like the the best of buddy like doing more stuff to try to like create more traction Mon- monetize monetize yeah, on exactly music, yeah. they were they were running out of money and they were almost bankrupt which is interesting considering talking about him being immortalized and his him becoming maybe even more popular after his death might not have been the case with buddy holly i think people were starting to forget about him and so people like Don McLean and, and the Beatles continually like keeping him relevant has, has helped with that, but they were the, the um, studio was about to go bankrupt and McCartney, Paul McCartney bought it and then basically turned around and like did a few things with his, with his savviness from being on the Beatles. He did a few things and ended up getting uh buddy Holly's uh, wife, his widow, more money and more, support, I guess, from Mm -hmm. more, more security, basically security. Yeah. Security is a good way to put that. Yeah. So just one of those interesting little tidbits about, you want to talk about influence when you have people who are influenced Don McLean making this song and talking about it and how, how significant it has been, but also Paul McCartney literally buying the studio so that he could then help buddy Holly's family is, you know, is significant. Like that's, that's cool. That is pretty cool. Maybe end this this tragedy on a on a high note in that regard. Right. Talk about the positive ways that these guys have influenced people. Well, well there's also the positive of just just the brief dive that I did into the song, into the history. It honestly it sparked an interest in that era of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Don McLean is is uh, he, he this the song that he wrote. However, you feel about it, has sparked I think a lot of people's interest in in uh in this era of music in in kind of studying that that shift during in the 60s mm-hmm. which is which is i think a good thing and that, and that's kind of the the point of this podcast this episode in particular is to is to spark that interest and so yeah basically what i got out of the 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 research is that I really liked trying to, when you, when we were going through the lyrics, figuring out who and what it was talking about in right. that era, because right. you have a window to look at and you can kind of try to figure it out and you can tell well, a lot of people have done a lot of thinking about it. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, it, but, but it, it's, it's kind of an investigative little fun puzzle. Also like, like it's, it's pop culture and really good pop culture to consume on the way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and you have the American pie is obviously a significant historical moment that has shaped America. You, you get that point. And so obviously these people, the jester, the marching band, the sergeants, like the King, you know, like all of these, these 
symbols, these, these people, these things in his song are obviously metaphors. And so mm-hmm. when you dive into it, you know, the, the woman who turns away, you know, when you, when you dive into it and you like, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And yeah, it's pretty friggin' sad for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it puts a, a lot of these people, circumstances and events into a lens that you wouldn't realize before, even just listening to the song. It's hard to, it's hard to um, kind of get deep into the lyrics with the instrumentals and stuff, listening to the song. Yeah. When you read it like a poem or like a, like a, like a lyric, it really pulls out the, the somberness. I yeah. think. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Cause, cause the music doesn't really, I mean, the slow parts do, but when the song picks up, it doesn't sing. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a tragedy when he's, when he's yeah. singing fast and stuff and going back to what I was talking about, about, about having a harder time hearing the lyrics, you know, when I, I feel the tempo and I feel that energy. And so I didn't always catch the tragedy behind it until, you know, talking to my dad and talking to other people, but like about the specific history of the music, you know? Well, and, and I think that that's kind of honestly something to, to think about as well is I think that illustrates the, the, the up-tempo happier parts of the song uh, while singing, like singing in an up-tempo mm-hmm. way about sad things is kind of illustrating a little bit. What he's trying to evoke is that there, a lot of these songs and a lot of the stuff happening in the sixties was fun and dancey and, yeah. and like you could get into it, but there's a darker underbelly that you need yeah. to, that, that is the lyrics that, that, that you can get into and, yeah. and, and think like, yeah, okay. It's, it's fun on the face, but there's an underbelly that, that you can get into. Yeah. And we're talking about, uh, speculation, you know, you and I were talking about as we were going through the lyrics, Hey, these are all, this is all speculation that I think mm-hmm. is a very poignant, I've said poignant a lot this episode, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's a very, it's a very, uh, a good speculation. If you want to call it that of, of that, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think there's this level of, you know, Hey, we're talking about a tragedy and we're seeing about things that are wrong or, or that, that have been, that bad things that have happened, hard things that have happened and everything and how they coincide with our politics. But you know what, this is kind of an up-tempo upbeat. So maybe in that aspect, there's this element of optimism uh, Mm -hmm. in it as well. I think you're completely right on that one. Just in, just in the, in the form of speculation, if we're going to speculate all all night long, you know, all day long, like, I think that's a very good, very good observation. Yeah. And it, it's just like any art, it's in the eye of the beholder. And so if that's yeah. what you want to take out of it, then sure. And that's, that's kind of what I'm choosing too, is that, is that both it's optimistic, but also there's a level of deception in, in some of the th- people and things he's talking about where on, on the surface, they're, they're fun and, and stuff, but on the, but take a couple steps lower and they're, they have their own issues that yeah. maybe don't, aren't serviced in their, in their uh, music and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. When I, anyway. I also in wrapping up, I also just like, Scott, I just want to say, thank you, man. Like this is, this is a really cool project uh, that you're heading up. And I think it's, I think it's really cool and not just cool, but like important, you know, like remembering these songs, remembering this, this history. And, you know, on, on the, the cold Bowl podcast, we talk a lot about the historical implications of, of some of the films. I mean, if you're watching on video, you can see behind me, I have some movie posters behind me. Uh, I have jaws right here, a very significant 
movie in history, uh, Superman, which was significant when it came out and then Jurassic Park. Um, and I think it's really great. We're focusing on music and, uh, Mm -hmm. and yeah, so I I just want to say personally, like, thank you, man. Like these are, they're fun episodes to listen to. I hope that me being on it is also fun, (laughs) but, (laughs) but no, this is great. So I'm really looking forward to, to being a part of, and of more of these projects and also listening to some of these projects as you have other guests and stuff on too. So, Hey man, thank you. No, right back at you. Thank you for, uh, you've put in a lot more work than I have into this episode. <laughs> and so, uh, um, I'm really glad you took it and ran with it. Like you, you were like, I was, I was really nervous about starting this. I've been putting it off for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a pet project and something I, I kind of put together as to almost prove to myself that I could do it. Um, and you have made it very easy for a first episode. So, <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> This has been awesome. Good. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I was worried. I was a little worried. I was talking too much. (laughs) (laughs) No, you did talk a lot, but that's exactly, I mean, we're on a podcast. That's what you do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, thanks man. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and I hope that your passion came across to the audience and I think it did. Um, it came across to me. So you're awesome. I love you. And, um, and yeah. Thanks for listening to the to the first episode. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Maybe I don't know how how often I'll release. <laughs> we'll but, see you uh, when you see you. <laughs> see you when I see you. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. See you. This will be the day that I die. They were singing bye bye Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing this'll be the day that I die.